The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location... This is the Bruce Exclusive, and here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome. To another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Well, didn't quite go the way we wanted it to. Bill's Mafia is on fire. Everyone's yelling at each other. And I'm a dog in a meme saying this is fine. The Bills were defeated by the New England Patriots on Monday Night Football. Since the last time you and I have spoken, and I have spent the time since Monday working on this podcast, so I will openly admit right off the bat that I have six pages of notes for this show. I have no idea how long I will go. I will do my best to be expedient, which is the reason why you're not getting an exceptionally long intro, aside from me just saying to you now that I have an exceptionally large amount of content that I would like to get to. I will do my best to get to emails. I will do my best to get to plurality pie. But I have a lot of things to talk about because it is more important than ever right now that the people that are giving you information and the people that are driving, defeating, or reinforcing narratives are focused, not flailing. And I consider myself part of that. You come, you listen to the show with the idea that you trust that I'm not just going to throw spaghetti at a wall and see what sticks. That I'm actually going to take the time. Because Bill's Mafia is fragile right now. And it's important to them that I be focused and not flailing. So it's important to me that I be focused and not flailing. Because we all know that expectations minus reality equals disappointment. We all know this. 
We've talked about this. I don't see how you could be at this point in the season and not have some semblance of disappointment. There are not a lot of Bills fans that I know. In fact, none I know personally that picked the Bills to at this point in the season be seven and five with a loss to the Jaguars. I don't know anyone who picked the Bills to be that at this point, which means right now, I don't know anyone who wouldn't be disappointed to some degree in regards to what's going on with the Buffalo Bills. And you all know the first part of that. You all know the first part of that equation. Expectations minus reality equals disappointment. Okay, so now we've got it. What are we going to do with it? Now that we have disappointment, we did our best to manage expectations. We understand where our disappointment is coming from. We're self-aware. Now that we've got it, what are we going to do with it? We're disappointed. And a lot of times what happens is that disappointment turns to frustration and the frustration causes you to lose focus and the lack of focus causes you to flail. It's true of fans. It's true of players. It's true of coaches. Listen to Sean McDermott's post-game press conference. Listen to his answers on the returners. Bill Belichick. Have you ever heard Sean McDermott talk that way before? No, you haven't. Because he was frustrated. And I think he lost focus for a minute. He was as angry as I've ever seen him on the sideline. Sean McDermott suffers the same stuff that all of us do. Which is when we get disappointment, sometimes we convert it to frustration, we lose focus, and we start to flail. But this is the time to be locked in. This is the decision point for a lot of people in Bill's Mafia. Because what can happen is, if you start flailing and you attach yourself to any narrative that confirms your priors in regards to what is wrong with this team, you might spend the next six weeks, eight weeks, year, lifetime, believing something that isn't true because you were flailing, because you lost focus, because you were frustrated, and you grabbed a hold of something that made sense. You grabbed a hold of something that confirmed your priors. You latched on to a narrative. If you ask someone right now to diagnose what is going on with the Buffalo Bills, they're going to give you a lot of different answers. And a lot of times, it's the first thing they saw that struck a particular chord in their brain that said, yes, it's that thing. That thing confirms what my eyes told me. We've talked a lot about your eyes potentially being wrong. If you're four beers deep watching the Bills game live and you come home, I don't know if you're going to have a great indication on what it is exactly the issue was with the offense that game based on just your eyes. But we latch a hold of the things that make us feel good or at least make us feel secure or more secure because we're flailing and we're flailing because we lost focus. We lost focus because we're frustrated. But the amount of disappointment correlates to the amount of frustration. Let me tell you where I'm at. I was more disappointed about the Colts game and I recognize I'm in the minority, but I'm going to explain to you why. The fact that there are multiple instances in the Buffalo New England game 
where one play changes the outcome very directly. That's the difference for me. The Buffalo Bills were not really in it against the Colts for a large portion of the game. But there are multiple plays you can point to with the Buffalo Bills-New England game where if one thing goes a little bit differently, it's very directly. And it's not a domino effect. It's not a, well, if this thing happens, then it turns into this thing and who knows. No, no, it's very direct. Stephon Diggs had a ball hit him in the arms that if he caught, would have won the game. Zach Moss could have bounced that outside and may have gotten to the end zone. Again, that's not 100% because I went back and watched it and the angle's kind of funky. But absolutely potential there. Dawson Knox could have caught the pass in the end zone, which would have won the game. A lot of very direct one play goes differently. If Tyler Bass makes the 33-yard field goal, the Bills probably kick a field goal with a chance to win. One play. With the Colts, I didn't have that. With the Colts, I didn't have one play. You could take out a lot of plays from that game and make them differently, and it wouldn't have mattered because the Bills got whooped. And despite what someone might tell you, I don't think the Bills got whooped against the New England Patriots. So that's why I was more disappointed about the Colts game than about the New England Patriots game. I recognize emotionally the salience that comes along with having a division game against a hated and bitter rival. I understand F the Pats. Totally. I get it. But one-score games are tricky. You know, it's funny. A lot of people expected regression from the Browns this year because of their success in one-score games last year. One-score games are one of those things where luck changes a lot in one-score games. And if you're winning all the time in one-score games, you're going to have regression there. You can't get away with that forever. You can't live on the edge forever like that. There's a level of variance to one-score games that makes us uncomfortable, but that's where half of the NFL teams live in one-score games. One of the things that has been a hot topic that we are going to dive into very extensively coming out of this game is offensive play calling. Brian Dable's been under fire. Sean McDermott's been under fire. The Bills offense doesn't look the same as it did in 2020. They're running the ball too much. They're not running Josh Allen enough. They're not running it in the red zone. We say all these things, but we don't actually go out and obtain the necessary data to be able to attempt to diagnose what's going on with the Buffalo Bills offense, specifically in regards to play calling. Execution is an entirely different discussion. But I went and did it. I dug through all of the metrics I could find when it comes to tendencies and things regarding the Buffalo Bills play calling that would help me outline some of the common talking points that are occurring in Bills Mafia right now. And we're going to spend a long time diving through all of them. Let's start with this. The Bills run pass ratio this year is about the same as it was last year. It's right there at 60-40. 62-38, 60-40. So that's not it. 
They're not running the ball markedly more than they were last year. It's about normal for the year. It's about normal for last year. And it's about normal for the NFL. That's about right. However, I have a theory. And I want to share some data that backs the theory. The play calling issue that you're seeing from the Buffalo Bills this year is not nearly as drastic as people think. They didn't just throw out the old plays. There are some minor differences that I want to talk about that I noticed. And my conclusion was that it's not a how much issue. It's a when and a how issue. It's not a how much issue. It's a primarily when and primarily how issue. And let me explain why. So we've already established that 60-40 is about what the Bills run. It was about what they ran last year. It's about what they run this year. Well, you might say, well, what about Josh Allen? Josh Allen's rushing attempts last year, 6.375 per game. Josh Allen rushing attempts this year, 6.25 per game. So that's not it. Allen's running exactly as much as he was last year. Well, Allen's running less in the red zone. No, he's not. Josh Allen red zone carries per game in 2020, 1.56. Josh Allen red zone carries per game in 2021, 1.58. So that's not it either. Well, we're running too much zone and not enough gap. Nope, that's not either. The ratio of gap to zone runs in 2020, roughly the same as it is in 2021. Well, that's not it either. Well, Bruce, what's going on? What's happening with the run game? It feels like they're they're trying to push the run. Why is it that it feels different? Well, a couple things. In 2020, 49% of Josh Allen's runs were scrambles per PFF. In 2021, 83% of his runs are scrambles per PFF. That's notable. Now, I will say Sports Information Solutions has different data on this. Currently working to figure out what the difference is in that data. But I think that's worth exploring. It's worth diving into that just a little bit. Because that would take the non-scramble runs per game from 2.75 in 2020 to 0.58 per game in 2021. So there'd be about two plays less per game that were designed quarterback runs from Josh Allen. Again, not a huge deal, but none of these things are. None of these things are a huge deal. If you're looking for a silver bullet where you go, that's the thing. That one thing is going to fix the bills. Then you're in the wrong spot. And anyone who gives you it, I would be very, very, very leery of that person who gives you the one thing. The reason why I say wins are not a quarterback stat is because the game is too complicated for it to be that simple. And that's one end of the spectrum. I cannot then turn around and be a hypocrite and say, the game is this simple, just do this one thing. Because that would make me a hypocrite. And I don't get to decide when truth is applied. 
If it's true, then it's true when it works in my favor and it's true when it doesn't work in my favor. And it's true when it's convenient for me to say so. And it's also true when it's inconvenient for me to say so. This is one of those things. It is something. It is notable. It's worth looking at. But it's not the answer because nothing is the answer. It's just something to think about. The second piece of this puzzle that I want to bring to your attention is that I already said that the run-pass ratio is roughly the same this year as it was last year. Do you know what's not roughly the same this year and last year? The first quarter run-pass ratio. Not the same. Last year, the Bills were second in the NFL in first quarter pass rate with 64%. This year, they are 12th in the NFL in first quarter pass rate at 57. So they're starting off running more. Maybe that's why we feel like it's so different. It doesn't end the game different, but it starts the game different. Now let's think about this for a second. What are some things that could be inflating that number? Because we really want to talk about play calling, right? But what if you're running RPOs, for example, and we know the Buffalo Bills face two high safety looks more than any team in the league that's not the Kansas City Chiefs? We know that. But if you're running RPOs against two high safeties, surely you're handing the ball off, right? Well, let's check it. Because we want to make sure that the first quarter pass rate stat that I just gave, you have to make sure it's valid. You have to make sure it's not being influenced by any other weird things because the hypothesis is that they're calling more run plays in the first quarter. But if RPOs are screwing that up, that's actually not true. So we have to find out. We need to know if the stat is polluted by something that isn't them actually calling more run plays because just because you have more runs doesn't mean you called more run plays because RPOs are a thing. So we have to check our stat before we assign value to it. You can't just throw a stat out there in the ether, draw a conclusion from it without knowing the factors that could potentially influence it. You got to slow down. If you see too high against RPO, you're probably more likely to hand the ball off. Maybe depending on where that other safety is, depending on what the route is that goes along with the run-pass option. The Bills ran 5.125 RPOs a game in 2020. They run 6.33 RPOs per game in 2021. So that's fairly notable. That's a little bit of an uptick. It's about 20% uptick. That's a number worth exploring. But 22% of the RPOs that the Bills ran ended up in a run in 2020. 19.73% of the RPOs that the Bills ran ended up being a run in 2021, which means the Bills had 1.125 runs per game generated by RPOs in 2020 and 0.9375 runs generated by RPOs in 2021. So that's not it. RPOs are not leading to the increased rush rate in the first quarter because the amount of rushes on average that the Bills get per game from RPOs is roughly the same. 
everyone talks about RPOs as if they're actually 50-50 and they're not. Most of the time, they're like 80-20 as far as pass run. It actually, quite frankly, should be a PRO. It's a pass run option, not a run pass option because they're really not 50-50. It's just the way it's worded that makes you sound like it's 50-50. Like there's an equal chance of getting a run and a pass out of this play. So we know that the RPOs against too high are not inflating the first quarter rushing numbers because they don't inflate the full game numbers in regards to added runs per game. So that's not it. Which means now I can feel a little better about that statement. That they appear to be using designed runs for Josh Allen a little less. And they appear to be calling run plays early a little more. Does this track with something logically that we would know about Sean McDermott and Brian Dable? Let's check that. When he has been asked about balance in the past, has said, balance is great if you win, not so much if you lose. Brian Dable is the guy who once opened a game with 19 straight passing plays. When asked about it, Sean McDermott is the guy who said, we got a little bit out of balance. Sean McDermott is the coach who has been preaching this entire year about the need to be a two-dimensional football team. Now let's rewind to a narrative that was going on this offseason. Because in their postseason press conferences, both Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott said, we want to be more effective running the ball. But then this offseason, they didn't really approach significantly any of the two personnel methods you could use to get better at running the ball. There are three things you could do primarily. Running back personnel, you can make a change there. Offensive line personnel, you can make a change there. Or scheme, you can make a change there. Well, the only adjustment on the offensive line was the addition of Spencer Brown, who I don't think they intended to be the starting right tackle this early. The only addition to the running back room was Matt Breida. And he didn't even play until recently. And as mentioned previously, the ratio of gap to zone runs in 2020 to 2021 is basically the same. So that wasn't it either. Now, obviously, there's more to scheme than just that. But I went and looked at running direction for this as well. It's roughly the same as it was last year. They're running roughly the same concepts in roughly the same directions from a scheme standpoint. So what were they expecting to change to get the running game to be more effective if they barely changed any of the three things that are necessary to have the most significant impact on the running game? If they didn't change the offensive line personnel very much, they didn't change the running back personnel very much, and they didn't change the scheme in significant, massive ways, then what exactly did they think was going to happen? What adjustments did they make? And I think the answer is this. If Sean McDermott says, we want to be a physical team, we want to control the line of scrimmage, does rushing the ball early 
in the game more sound like a good way to be two-dimensional? Establish the run? If I said the phrase establish the run to you, would you think, yeah, we want to run it earlier? Yeah, I think you would. What about rushing your quarterback? Rushing your quarterback maybe just a little bit less because that's not really physically dominating. That's a little trickeration. It tracks for me. Logically, it tracks that the team would have looked at what ails the running game and said, maybe a little bit less Josh Allen, maybe a little bit earlier in games. Let's not start off with 19 straight passes, Brian Dable. And yes, if it sounds like I'm wondering out loud if Sean McDermott had an influence, it's because I am. Now, it's very important that I say this. I don't think either of the things I mentioned are big, sweeping, massive deals. I don't. They're notable. And amidst a sea of things that are almost identical from 2020 to 2021, they stuck out for me. Again, no silver bullet. But you are talking about one section of offensive competence, which is play calling. And then you're talking about two things within the subsection of offensive play calling that are even of notable differences from last year to this year. So don't go thinking that what Bruce is saying is they have to run Josh Allen more and they have to throw the ball more early and that's going to fix everything. Because that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I'm looking for outliers because that's what you're doing. You're going to examine the data to find outliers. I want to find something that doesn't look like it belongs. And almost everything is the same or not statistically significantly different between 2020 and 2021. Except these things. And I saw them and it tracks for me. Logically, I can see a path. I can see a way where if you didn't make changes to the offensive line and you didn't make changes of note to the running back room and you didn't make sweeping changes to your ratio of gap and zone runs and you didn't make changes overall to the direction that you're running, it would make sense to me that if all those things are true but you expected still to be better, that one of the ways you could do that is by showing more physicality. And showing more physicality would involve running earlier, setting the tone at the line of scrimmage. It would also include running Josh Allen maybe a little bit less from a design standpoint. That tracks for me logically. So I think it's something that's worth noting. I had someone ask me recently about Mitch Morse. And I said, you know, Mitch Morse is actually really, really good on designed quarterback sweeps. Which is ironic we'd be talking about this. So it's not a how much issue. It's not a how much issue at all. Because the run-pass ratio is roughly the same. It's a primarily when and primarily how. Primarily when and primarily by what method. And sometimes even minor changes to those things can feel like bigger deals when you're not winning. 
Because as I've mentioned multiple times already, both of the things I outlined are very small details. Very small. But they're the best we've got at this point based on what I can investigate. So how does this apply to the Patriots game? Well, for me, it's about McDermott valuing toughness and conceptually what they think is going to work more than what actually works. The Bills attempted 10 passes in the first half. So that tracks with what's normally going on based on our data this year, that they're opening with a more significant run ratio than the remainder of the game. Once you found out, which was fairly early on, that Josh Allen can throw it in the wind and the Patriots weren't going to try, you now have an option. You can lean into that advantage or you can fall into their game script. The Pats played almost exclusively single high coverages. They didn't believe you would throw the ball in this wind because they weren't going to throw the ball in this wind. But Josh Allen could throw the ball in this wind. It's not about run-pass ratio overall. It's about being slow to adjust and stubborn to admit that the thing you thought was going to work didn't work because you feel like it should. The Bills got negative 14 rushing yards over expectation between the tackles against the Patriots. Didn't stop them from keep doing it. The Bills running backs had 19 carries for 61 yards. The run game was never built to be a focal point of this team. And the weather doesn't magically make that the case. And that's the thing that I think was frustrating for me watching the New England Patriots game. The weather doesn't magically make you into something you're not. Now, if Josh Allen's not capable of throwing it in the wind, then that's okay. But didn't you mention weather as being one of the reasons you were comfortable drafting Josh Allen when you did? When you drafted him, I'm pretty sure there was a discussion about having a big, strong arm quarterback who could throw the ball in adverse conditions. Well, here you go. You literally drafted the quarterback to give you the comparative advantage over a player like Mac Jones. And you had it, but it took you to the second half to really use it. Hey, if I would have known the Bills were going to care so much about being two-dimensional that they were going to do what isn't working in favor of what is working because the concept is stronger than the reality, I would have said, okay, great. Take a running back in round one. (laughs) I mean, if you care that much about being two-dimensional, that you're going to keep doing it because the concept that you think is going to work, even though it doesn't work, is stronger for you than the thing that actually works? Sure, draft running back in the first round. Pay him all the money. Why not? Apparently, you're going to do it anyway. Of course, I'm being facetious. I'm playing around. But it feels like what McDermott wants the Bills to be is conflicting with what the Bills are. It's possible that while we were all talking about what the defense needed to do to match up with the Chiefs this whole offseason, Sean McDermott took something very different away from the AFC Championship game. In that game, Josh Allen had the most carries of any player on the team. Devin Singletary had six carries for 17 yards. That was not an effective running game for the Buffalo Bills. And while we were spending the entire offseason talking about pass rush and coverage and what are you going to do to slow down the Chiefs, 
We never stopped to think that maybe Sean McDermott took something completely different away from that game. Maybe he looked at that game and said the reason why we weren't able to do what we wanted to do is because we weren't physical enough running the football. Josh Allen was our number one ball carrier. We can't have that. Maybe the solutions that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean thought they were going to get this year came from toughness and assumption. They would show toughness and the ability to be a two-dimensional team no matter what. They were going to make sure they ran the ball and set the tone early. And they were going to dial a little bit back on Josh Allen and design runs. Not a lot, just a little bit. That's something I didn't hear about at all this offseason. Was maybe McDermott took something away from the game that was completely different than what the rest of us did. Maybe he looked at that game and said, we need to make adjustments. And when you look around and realize he didn't make real significant adjustments to personnel, he didn't make significant adjustments to the running back room, offensive line, schemes roughly the same. What were the changes? A little less Josh Allen, a little bit earlier. The ironic thing is that the Bills were rushing the ball from a success rate standpoint better in 2020 in the first quarter than in 2021 in the first quarter when they were running it less and teams were giving them fewer too high looks. The Bills running it in the first quarter in 2020 were more effective. Now, not by a lot, not by a ton, not even a good amount, just a little bit better in 2020 when they were running it less and they were seeing less too high looks. The reason I don't love running the ball more earlier is because what you're doing is you are keeping the narrative and the script of the game teetering on the edge for longer. In 2020, the Bills wanted to throw the ball early, second in the NFL in first quarter pass rate, throw the ball early, get up on you, force you to play their game, force you into their script. Now the defense wasn't good enough to be able to stop teams from coming back. And the offense had to keep the foot on the gas. But in 2021, it's that, but a little bit less. A little bit less passing in the first quarter. Because we want to show that we're two-dimensional. We want to make sure they respect our run game. They don't respect it no matter how much you're going to run it. They don't respect it because you're not good at it. It's not about how often you do it. It's not about when you do it. So it's something I don't necessarily love. But again, for the third or fourth time, it's not a huge deal. It's just something that I noticed. Josh Allen was an X factor in the game against the New England Patriots. But the Bills didn't play to the X factor. You went out and drafted the X factor and you said you got him for games like this. But it took you half the game to figure it out. So I think there's reasonable criticism to be had. But even if they fixed either of these things, you still wouldn't have 2020's offense because execution in bunches has been a problem. The reason I focused on this is because play calling is a big narrative. The reason that a big part of the topic for this conversation today was play calling tendencies and play calling adjustments and changes from 2020 to 2021 is because that's part of the narrative 
But I'm here to tell you, even if those things were identical to 2020, this offense still wouldn't be the same because the execution flaws have happened at particularly bad times. So it's not a silver bullet, but it is something. Last thing I want to talk about before we try and take a break. I say try because who knows how long I'll be on it. Is the situation that came up between the Buffalo media and Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer when they were answering questions at a press conference. I find it very ironic that I discussed the idea that the media does not hold teams accountable or players accountable. They don't hold them accountable a couple weeks ago on this podcast because now here it is coming up again. I did not predict this. I am not Brewster Domus. But it's still true. It was true when you were yelling at the media to ask tougher questions. And it's true now that they asked a question you didn't like and got a response that the player didn't like. It never stopped being true. It was true then. It's true now. If I said a couple weeks ago that the media doesn't hold the team accountable, and then I said, hey, re- I'm really glad they asked that question because they need to be held accountable. That would make me a hypocrite. The media didn't hold the team accountable two weeks ago, and they don't hold the team accountable now. You do. All of that's still true. 100% of that is still true. We are going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We've got emails to get to. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We took the break at the 36-minute mark when we are usually wrapping up the show. So it's going to be a long one. Sorry about that. I got an email from Pete. and He said, hi, Bruce. I hope you're doing well. I've written in before as a fan of the Bruce Exclusive. It's essential listening for a Bills fan based in Scotland. I particularly like how measured you are with your takes and how you make quite complex aspects of the game feel quite straightforward, allowing my education of a wider game of football to continue to expand. Thank you so much. I appreciate that very much. He goes on to say, so here's the thing. I myself deliver quite a number of lectures, presentations, and workshop at a top-end university, and I'm always seeking to improve and develop my style of engagement to both inspire and be memorable to those who listen to me. Currently, I think I do an okay job, but like we all should do, I want to strive for continuous improvement. I listen to your pods, and I think, how do you deliver that sort of content? Do you have a basic structure, a script, or are you freestyling? The content from the get-go. I particularly enjoy how you tie in your closing narrative to the line, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm curious as to how you pull it all together to a seamlessly engaging piece of solo work. I really see value in learning tips from those who you see doing a great job. So I was just wondering if you were able to share any of your workings. Many thanks. 
and Go Bills, Pete. Okay, so I have to be very, very careful what I say here because I do not want to give the FBI too much information on Bruce because we all know they could be anywhere. They're probably listening right now. Jan, the FBI agent, is listening right now. Hi, Jan. Catcher in the rye, catcher in the rye, catcher in the rye. I should probably elaborate. I had a friend who had a theory that there were specific trigger words that the Federal Bureau of Investigation was listening for that would activate an opportunity to listen to a phone call. And he thought one of those trigger phrases was catcher in the rye, based, of course, on the book. So every time he and I would talk on the phone, he would open the conversation with catcher in the rye, catcher in the rye, catcher in the rye. And then we'd have a normal conversation about burgers. Because what he thought he was doing was wasting the FBI agent's time to listen to our conversation about burgers. It was a low-level troll attempt from my buddy. So that should be explained. In regards to my particular delivery, anyone who knows me well, in this space anyway, would know that shooting from the hip is not really my thing. It's not what I do. It's really important to me that I remain focused and that I'm clear and concise with my communication. So earlier this pod, we talked about two things specifically that I noticed as outliers when it comes to play calling and differences between 2020 and 2021. But I said multiple times that it's not a huge deal. It's just something. I said that multiple times, specifically so the narrative from this pod would not be, well, Bruce thinks there's a silver bullet. Because that would be disingenuous of me. And I don't want that to be the case. It is so important to me that I not open my mouth and say something if I don't know it's true. You would be amazed at how quiet I am in real life. You'd be amazed at how little I speak when I don't have to speak. Because I don't want to say something without knowing it's true especially when I have thousands of people who are listening to this podcast and trusting that I'm not going to steer them wrong. So for me, shooting from the hip, not an option. So yes, I have an outline. In fact, for this particular podcast, I had five and a half pages of notes. Five and a half for this show. And I massively shortened it to get 36 minutes in before the break. The way that it works for me is that the way my podcast is able to communicate information is a lot like I would be writing a speech. If you'll notice, there are pauses. There are weird pauses and I'm not making them from dramatic effect. I repeat myself because this podcast is essentially structured like I was writing a speech. And there's three rules of speech writing. Tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them what you want to tell them, and then tell them what you told them. Those are the three rules of speech writing. And it's the reason why I'm trying to engage you and engage your ears. Because if I only say one piece of information at a time and I talk like this, it's not going to be very memorable and you're going to have a hard time absorbing the information. That is the reason why I don't do that. Now, as I've mentioned before, my normal voice is not this animated. It's not this high pitched and it doesn't have dramatic pauses that allow you to kind of sink in the information for that section. I am literally doing this podcast as if I was doing a public speaking engagement. So it's structured. 
And it's communicated in a specific way for a specific reason, because I think that's the way that will allow my people to best absorb information. Because if I'm going to spend all this time researching, if I'm going to spend all this time working, and then my delivery is garbage, does it matter? It doesn't matter how good my points are if no one can absorb them, if no one can remember them, if no one can digest them, it doesn't matter. So for me, it's about preparation and then delivery. I do not freestyle essentially anything. Now, I will say Food for Thought on Friday is a much more relaxed version of Bruce Nolan because we're talking about food. And and let's be honest, if I give a bad take about food, it doesn't matter. There's no harm. If I'm dropping irresponsible pieces of information on this podcast, it matters. I don't take myself very seriously. I don't think I'm a huge deal. But I take the work very, very seriously. Because I have a responsibility. I have an obligation. I'm indebted to you for showing up every week. I owe you responsible narrative. I owe you intellectual honesty. I owe that to you because you take time out of your week to come and listen to me. It's a responsibility. It's a burden. It's not just some fun thing you just throw at the wall and see what sticks. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. There are people listening to you, relying on you. And you take it seriously. So that's why I don't freestyle. That's why I prepare. That's why I come in like this. That's why I care about the delivery. And that is the delivery theory. Jake sent me an email, said, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, O figment of my imagination. I don't write it often, but you've probably gotten accustomed to the novellas I send in every few months. I know you got a backlog of emails, so if you never get to share this on air, that's fine. This started with a podcast you released a few weeks ago that had to do with the idea of fandom turning into an addiction. Traditionally, during a Bills game, I can't sit down. I'm pacing back and forth, and typically my mood for the next 24 hours is based on the result of the game. That podcast forced me to take a look at why this could be. I was first introduced to my Bills fandom by my maternal grandfather, who was a big Bills fan. And Sundays became a family event for football and dinner, as was the case for many households. He was a generous, hardworking, give the shirt off his back for you type of individual who was in a verbally and mentally abusive marriage for 50 plus years. He taught me a lot about what a man should be like and his blue collar mentality aligned with many ideals of the city of Buffalo and many of the Marv Levy speeches and poems, i.e. fight on my men, Sir Andrew said, little I am hurt, but not yet slain. I'll just lay down and bleed a while and rise to fight again. As a result of my fandom being so intertwined with my grandfather, as well as Josh Allen finishing his rookie season as my grandfather finished his life, when the Bills lose, to me it was like the Bills were somehow dishonoring his memory and the qualities he stood for. So before the Saints game, I conditioned myself to look around at the life I have now and count my blessings, to realize that I was lucky to have the life I have whether or not the Bills won. During the game, I was much more relaxed, no pacing, Rather, I could sit on my couch and even eat something during the game. I never eat during the game. My wife noticed the change and commented on how much she appreciated the change. So I felt compelled to write in and say thank you for challenging me to reevaluate the way I view my fandom. I know you'll probably have to stop doing this one day, but just know that it'll be a dark day for all of Bill's Mafia when you go off the air. All the best, Jacob. Jake, thank you very much. 
you are one of a couple people who have either messaged me, emailed me, tweeted me, and said that that particular podcast helped you. It helped you be more at peace during the game. It helped you be more at peace with your own fandom. It helped you to be introspective about why it is you're reacting the way you react. The truth is that I owe you. I owe you for accepting me into your homes and your cars and your AirPods and being unbelievable supporters of the show. I'm going to pass 10,000 followers on Twitter here soon, and I'm going to have to show you all a picture of my elbow because that was the deal. And I can't even wrap my head around that. I do a pretty good job compartmentalizing myself from Bruce, but it's still weird. So I owe you. So when I'm trying to help in those podcasts, I'm just trying to give back a small portion of what you guys have already given to me. And I won't be able to give back all of it. Like that's never going to happen. I won't be able to fully repay each and every one of you for the kindness and the grace that you've shown me. But you know what? That's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.